Man, we could not have cast a more perfect family for those videos than the Rouse. Thank you all so much for doing that for us. Yeah, amen, amen. By God's grace and by your generosity, a little over a year ago, we helped plant the Mountain View Christian Church up in Kalispell, Montana. And over the weekend, just uh, just the day before yesterday, we received this big box from our brothers and sisters in Kalispell. We were not expecting this at all. We didn't know what it was. In fact, the side of the box said perishable, and we were worried there was sausage or something in there. But listen to this card. It says, Merry Christmas, GCR. We pray this card finds you well. As we entered the Christmas season, Mountain View was thinking, what could we give GCR for Christmas? We decided you're not going to have any snow. What if we sent you snowflakes? And so these snowflakes that are on the trees, we just rapidly put them on the trees this morning. They were all handmade by our brothers and sisters in Kalispell, Montana. Some of these snowflakes are crocheted. Some of them are made with uh, on canvas. Some of them are made with beads. There's a, several of them that are made with like, like nails, like they're uh, welded together. But anyway, these snowflakes are a blessing to us from our brothers and sisters up in Kalispell, Montana. Uh, they write, know that each snowflake was made in love, especially for our GCR brothers and sisters. Each snowflake was made and prayed over before we put it in the uh, in the mail. We at Mountain View pray this brings a smile to your faces and warmth to your hearts. Know that we love y'all. <laughs> And are so thankful for your support and friendship throughout our journeys together. You are amazing brothers and sisters in our family of God. Love from the Mountain View Christian Church. I love that. I think that's tremendous. So what I would say is, after church... Why don't you grab one if you want to? Grab an ornament, grab a snowflake, take it home, put it on your own tree uh, as, a, as a gift of grace from our brothers and sisters at the Mountain View Christian Church. I, I love that. So uh, there's a story about a preacher, okay? The preacher calls the banker in town. And he says, John, I know that you make almost a million dollars a year, and I know that you're not giving one dime of it to the church, and you know that we do lots of good works for the poor and the needy. How can you possibly say no to that? And the banker said, well, preacher, do you also know that I have an elderly mother in the Alzheimer's unit at the nursing home who's racking up thousands of dollars in medical bills? Do you know that my brother is blind and he's unemployed? Do you also know that my sister's husband passed away recently and left her broke with four kids? And the preacher said, I had no idea. And the banker said, well, yeah, if I can say no to all of them, I can certainly say no to you. <laughs> now, a lot of you may be aware that a lot of charity organizations take in more than 70% of their annual donations during the month of December. People give more at Christmas time, which means people ask more at Christmas time. You hear the bells ringing outside the grocery store. You, you get the letters in the mail asking for donations. You see the emotional pleas on television for more money, and they've probably passed an envelope or two around at your office over the last couple of weeks. The statistics say 
that you're much more likely to give money to a person on the corner or under a bridge around Christmas time than you are in August. You'll write that check or you'll donate to that cause in December when you won't do it in the spring. Why? Why is that? Why do we feel so much more generous at Christmas? Why do we think more about the needy? Last Sunday, we looked at Christmas lights. Remember, we considered the brightest light, the true light in Jesus Christ who comes to us from somewhere else and gives us what none of us has, his righteousness, his holiness, and his peace. God saves us when we're completely unable to save ourselves. Next Sunday is Christmas Eve, December 24, and we're going to all come in together in this room at 1015 for a special Christmas Eve candlelight worship service. We're not going to have Bible classes next week, but we're all going to be in here together at 1015 on Sunday morning, and we'll consider together the greatest gift of our Lord Jesus Christ. Today we're looking at what we're calling the deepest love. Today I want to give us a big picture framework for understanding what the coming of Jesus looks like on the ground and the difference that Jesus makes in our lives and where we live. More than two-thirds of all Americans give to charity. The research shows that those people are three times more likely to give in December than in any of the other 11 months out of the year. The research shows that nonprofit organizations in the United States see a 42% increase in donations during the month of December. Barna research says that Christians are the most generous people. They are twice as likely to give as non-Christians. And when they give in December, they give twice as much. Why? Why is that? You know, from a purely rational perspective, it's hard to understand why anybody would give money like that for anything. Logical people who work hard for their money and they spend a lot of time and energy worrying about their own families and their own bills and their own car payments and mortgages and kids and, and taxes. Why would those kinds of people give their money away to help pure strangers? You know about the kid who loses a contact lens while he's playing basketball in the driveway. You know, the lens pops out. He's looking for it everywhere. He's panicked. He can't find it. After a long time, he goes in. He tells his mom. His mom comes out. She gets down in the driveway on her hands and knees and finds that contact lens like in 18 seconds. And the boy says, how did you do that? I looked out here forever. She said, well, son, you were looking for a thin piece of transparent plastic. I was looking for $290. <laughs> we know what's that's, what that's like, right? We, we all know everything about that. So, so the question is, why do we give our money and our energy and our resources to help strangers, especially at Christmas? Let me suggest this morning, it's a holy impulse, and it's connected to the ways of our Lord. Listen to the gospel from Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David. 
because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy, and it will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. For God to be with us, Emmanuel, that's extraordinary. Amen? For God to become us, for God to become a human being, that is beyond our abilities, I think, to even imagine. But I want us to remember this morning what the Bible bends over backwards to make incredibly clear, unmistakably clear. God came to us, but he didn't just come to us. God came to us poor and needy. God became destitute and poor and vulnerable and needy. When God wanted us to see him up close and personal, when God wanted us to see him and understand exactly who he really is, he came to us as someone from the wrong side of the tracks. Mary is a poor Jewish girl. Joseph is a poor Jewish home builder. Bethlehem's a tough town. It's a poor town marked by poverty and tragedy and loss. There's no room at the inn, although I don't think they could have afforded one if there had been one. They're forced into this barn to sleep in the hay with the, with the sheep and the cows and the smells and the sounds that the sheep and the cows produce. And our Lord Jesus, our Savior, is a baby. He is tiny. He is weak. He is vulnerable. He is hungry. He is crying. Our Lord Jesus his crib is a watering trough. His nursery is a stable. King Herod and all the political and military power and might of the national army are trying to kill him. This, this poor, destitute, infant boy. So not only is Jesus poor, he's also a refugee. He and his parents flee to Egypt in the middle of the night. They're driven out of their homeland by oppression and persecution. Jesus is poor. He is homeless. He is a refugee, an immigrant. He is vulnerable and destitute. He is helpless. Jesus. What do you think about that? Have you thought about that? I mean, we're not breaking any news here, right? We know all these things about Jesus. 
But I think we need to be reminded from time to time about our Lord. In all societies, I guess this has gone on for millions of years, we're conditioned in our own groups to view other people in their other groups as less than, and we congratulate ourselves on being so great and so much better than. Who do you look down on? Who do you think you're better than? People from another race or from another social class? Maybe you look down on rich people. Or maybe you look down on the educated snobs who had their doctor's degrees. Or maybe you look down on poor people. Maybe you look down on uneducated people who don't have those degrees. Maybe you look down on people whose political views you feel like are ruining the country or ruining the church. Whatever it is, you've been taught. We've all been taught to see some people as unclean or unholy or unworthy. But me, us, we're good. We're okay. We're great, in fact. The coming of our Lord Jesus as a baby in a barn does not allow us to act that way anymore. Amen? Amen? The world has always valued money and race and pedigree and class, but our God turns all of that upside down when he comes to us in Jesus Christ. Philippians 2, this is what Luke read to us from the table earlier. Verse 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in our human likeness, and being found in appearance as a human, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Amen. When our God became human, he truly became Emmanuel, God with us. But God with us also means God with all of us. God came for all of us. He came for everybody. Amen? <laughs> Y'all are with me, right? This isn't new, right? I've always been told you only get amens when you say stuff that everybody already knows. We know this, right? Amen. amen. God came for all of us. That means you. And that means them. Amen? Amen. I've heard all my life that the ground is level at the cross. Brothers and sisters, it is just as level at the manger in Bethlehem. In the beauty of the nativity, God shows us that we all belong to the same family. We are all equally lacking and equally blessed. By becoming a human being, God draws the entire human family to himself. And there are no distinctions in Christ, all people are the same. In Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. Why? Because in Christ, you are all one, the Bible says. 
Mary's song in Luke chapter 1 sounds revolutionary as she envisions this cosmic leveling event for all people. The angels announce, this is good news of great joy that is for all people. God is the God of the universe, but he's no elitist. And when we give in to the impulse to avoid uncomfortable people or awkward situations, that is not like our Lord. J.I. Packer wrote a book a long time ago called Knowing God. I want to read to you from this book. This is, it's a little bit of a lengthy passage, but it's, it's beautiful. And I, I, want, I want you to hear it this morning. This is J.I. Packer. For the Son of God to empty himself and become poor meant a laying aside of glory, a voluntary restraint of power, an acceptance of hardship, isolation, ill treatment, malice, and misunderstanding. It is our shame and disgrace today that so many Christians, I will be more specific, so many of the soundest and most orthodox Christians go through this world in the spirit of the priest and the Levite in our Lord's parable, seeing human needs all around them, but averting their eyes and passing by on the other side. This is not the Christmas spirit. But it is the spirit of some Christians, alas, there are many, whose ambition in life seems limited to building a nice middle-class Christian home and making nice middle-class Christian friends and bringing up their children in nice middle-class Christian ways and who leave the marginalized of the community to just get on as best they can. The Christmas spirit does not shine out in the Christian snob. For the Christmas spirit is the spirit of those who, like their master, live their whole lives on the principle of making themselves poor, spending and being spent to enrich their fellow humans, giving time, trouble, care, and concern to do good to others in whatever way there seems need. The whole 10 years we were up at the Central Church in Amarillo, we had a thing on Thursday mornings we called Loaves and Fishes. This was a program that we did for the poor and the needy and the homeless right there in downtown Amarillo. We'd give out food, we'd worship together, we'd give out groceries. Depending on the, the time of the month and the weather, we'd have in there anywhere from 80 to 90 to upwards of 150, 160 people. And we would worship together for 15 or 20 minutes and then once a month it would be my turn to speak. And so I'd speak for nine to 10 minutes, and I do have 10-minute sermons, okay? You're just not in the right venue for them, okay? But, but I would speak, and I would do my best, man, on those days to, to speak love and grace, and I would do my best to, to meet these people and talk to these people, and I became friends with a few of these people, and, and I wanted to inspire them. I wanted to encourage them. I wanted to give them comfort and peace, and I'm telling you, we did that for 10 years, And I still never felt like I could truly relate. I never once felt like I really could understand or connect. But I know who can. I know who does. One Thursday morning, I was in front of that loaves and fishes crowd, and we were talking about Jesus, and I just asked them. I said, what did Jesus do for a living? How did Jesus make money? 
Well, you know, the first thing we go to is always, well, Jesus was a carpenter, right? That's kind of what we say. Actually, the evidence for that is, is sketchy at best. There's only two references in the whole Bible about Jesus being a carpenter, and both of those references are actually making the point that nobody really knows who Jesus is, right? And then we know that Jesus was called rabbi, and he taught like a rabbi, and he acted like a rabbi, but we also know from the Bible there wasn't a single rabbinical school that gave him any authority. And so I don't know if Jesus had a real job. You know, he was always eating at other people's houses. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, he's eating with people he doesn't like. He's eating with people who don't like him. Why? I think he's hungry. So then I, we talked about that for a little while. And then I asked these loaves and fishes people. I said, where did Jesus live? Where was his house? Well, they all knew the answer to that. Jesus is homeless. Jesus didn't have a house. The foxes have holes. The birds of the air have nests. Jesus said, I don't have a place to lay my head. And when he did try to go home, he got kicked out because his family thought he was mentally unstable. They thought he was nuts. And then I asked this question to the loaves and fishes crowd. I said, how many of you have spent time in jail or in prison? How many of you, one night, two nights, whatever, you've spent some time behind bars? Man, like 80 hands went up immediately, like almost the whole room. And I could see some of the church volunteers getting nervous, you know. They were leaning over to each other, what are we doing, you know. I had one lady right after come up to me, Alan, I could have done without knowing the answer to that question. <laughs> But they're all raising their hands, and I'm looking at them. Now you're in the same zip code with Peter and James and John and John the Baptist and the Apostle Paul. And I look at these people, these homeless, destitute, poor people. And I told them, you are closer to God than I am. You are. By virtue of the job I have, by virtue of the house I live in, by virtue of the truck I drive, by virtue of the fact that my family's not completely whacked, you are closer to the heart of God than I am. We miss that church. We miss who Jesus is. Jesus was born into poverty as a helpless baby. He lived and he ministered in poverty. He died in poverty, naked and ashamed on a cross outside the camp of comfort and encouragement and belonging. The lowly birth of our Jesus in a barn in Bethlehem, church, that is good news. And the reason it's good news is because it means that God knows. God understands. He knows you. And he understands you. Have you ever felt betrayed? Have you ever felt lonely? Have you ever been in financial trouble? Have you ever felt pushed aside by everybody else in your group like you don't belong? Jesus knows exactly how that feels. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We looked at this last week in John chapter 1. God with us, Emmanuel, right? And if God really has been born in a manger in Bethlehem, then we've got something no other religion in the world even claims to have. We have a God who really understands you. Christianity is the only religion that says God suffered. 
that God knows what it's like to be lonely and abandoned. God knows what it's like to be crushed by society's injustice. Christmas shows us that he knows what you're going through. When you talk to him, he understands. All the dark places, he's been there. All the deep valleys, he's been there. He's experienced everything you have. The pains, the losses, the heartaches. He knows and he understands. But more than that, I, I think bigger than that, Jesus being born into poverty and growing up in despised Nazareth, that right there is the whole point of the gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9 says, You know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. See, the world has always despised the people from the wrong places, the people who don't have the right credentials. We're always trying to justify ourselves. We desperately need to feel superior to somebody else. But everything about Jesus goes against that impulse. Our God's habit is to operate in the opposite way. The Savior of the world being born in a dirty barn in a forgettable town is not the exception. Church with our God, that's the rule. Think about it. God does not bring his message of hope to this world through the dominating Egyptians or the powerful Romans or the Babylonians. He uses Israel. He uses the Hebrews, this tiny little nation and race with no power, no credibility in the world. Our God brings down Goliath. How? With a bigger giant? No, with the little shepherd boy the giant laughs at. That's our God. And in the ancient times when the oldest son got all the wealth, we talked about this in our Bible class this morning, and the younger son didn't really have any say or any power at all, our God chooses Abel, not Cain. He chooses Israel, not Ishmael. He uses Jacob, not Esau. He picks David instead of his older brothers. And at a time when the women were valued for their youth and fertility, God chose old, wrinkled up, barren Sarah instead of Hagar. He chooses Rebecca, who can't have children. He chooses Hannah, who can't have children. He chooses Samson's mother, who can't have children. Over and over again, our God says, I will choose Nazareth over Jerusalem. I will choose torches and jars over spears and swords. I'll choose the girl nobody wants. I'll choose the boy. Everybody's forgotten. Why? Why? Is it just because God loves the underdog? No. It's because God is telling us something about salvation itself. Church, this is the whole point of the gospel. This is the whole point of Jesus being born a poor baby in a barn. 
It's that every other religion and philosophy out there says you need to summon up all your strength and then you can make it. You need to gather all the power and all the resources you have within you and then you can reach God. That's what all the religions out there say. And so all of those religions actually appeal to the smart and the wealthy among us who do have the resources to muster up something to make things happen. But that's not Jesus. Only our Lord Jesus says, I have come for the weak. I have come for the poor. I have come for people who can admit they're weak and they're poor. I am not going to save you by what you do. I'm going to save you by what I do. That's our Lord Jesus. And throughout his whole ministry, you know, his followers kept asking him, Jesus, when are you going to take power and save the world? And Jesus kept saying, no, 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 I'm not going to take power. I'm going to give away my power and die. That's how I'm going to save the world. Amen? Amen. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Why? Why, Jesus? Why would you become poor? Why would you, Jesus, become destitute and needy and vulnerable. Why, Jesus, would you die? It's love. It is the deepest love. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, when Jesus says, hey, whenever you feed somebody who's hungry, you're actually feeding me. You know what I'm talking about? Jesus says, whenever you give a cup of cold water to somebody who's thirsty, you're actually giving that cup of cold water to me. Whenever you invite in the refugee, whenever you visit somebody in the hospital, whenever you take care of somebody who is sick, whenever you do all those things, you're actually doing them to me. When Jesus said that, he's not giving us some abstract theological concept. He's not giving us a metaphor. This isn't so we can go, oh, we know Jesus' heart is with those kinds of people. No, Jesus is those kinds of people. This is who Jesus is. And when we decide to follow Jesus, when we pray to God to transform us more into the image of Jesus, we are deciding right then and there to go to the people who have no power, to go to the people without beauty, to go to the people without influence, without resources, people who have nothing to go to them and to be with them, like our Lord Jesus. And it has everything to do with the way our God comes to us in Christ Jesus, his son. That's the deepest love. God coming to us as one of us and then calling us to be one with his world. Let's pray together, church. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for his humanity. Thank you, God, for showing us who you are by coming to us as someone we might not choose, 
someone who is poor, someone who is vulnerable, someone who is needy, someone who doesn't speak our language, doesn't have our same skin color. God, that is you. You have come for all of us, and you have called us to share that deepest love with others. And today, Lord, we commit to that. We commit to the Christmas spirit of being united in Christ, one family, good news, great joy for all people. Today, God, we promise to live into that to your glory and praise. In the name of Jesus, all God's people say together, amen. Stand with me, church. There's a reason we feel more generous in December. There's a reason we think more about the needy at Christmas time. And it's got everything to do with the way our Lord came to us as a baby in a barn. May the ringing of the bells in front of the stores remind us that we are all equally poor and equally blessed in our Lord Jesus. May the people we see on the corners and under the bridges point us to our Savior who left his home in glory to be born in a barn. And may our increased interactions as a church with the poor and the needy here in Midland, may it open our eyes and our hearts to the beauty and truth of Emmanuel, God with us. Amen.